the stories would present the reader with sort of options and decisions to make, and you would just choose which way you wanted to go, and based off your decision, you turn to a certain page, and then you kind of keep going with the story. The story would completely change based on the decision that you would make. Even if you didn't love reading, there was something about those books that was so interesting. You became the main character, and your choices would completely alter the story. Choose your own adventure. It was, it was popular, and it was, it was fun to kind of make that choice and read it to the end. And then you could go back, and you could kind of see what would happen if you made a different choice and kind of keep reading through the whole book and figure out the choices that you would need to make to kind of get the ending that, that you wanted to get. But real life isn't like that, though, is it? can't go back. You make a decision and it changes your story. Your life continues to change and adjust and evolve with every decision that you make. I think that's what makes books like that so popular and video games today so fun because you can change your mind. You can, you can hit reset. You can go back. You can start from a, a different save point or whatever. You can keep doing that until you get the result that you want. Get the story shaped the way that you want it. Life is a choose your own adventure. It's just that it's a one time thing. It's the ultimate choose your own adventure because there's no going back. There's no option to go back and reread and kind of see what could have happened. There's no save point for you to restart from. You make a choice and the adventure continues. We have so many decisions that we make each day and a lot of them pretty small. A lot of them don't change our story very much. Some kind of small impact decisions like what hair gel you use. I don't think that's changing your story too much or what color bands to get next time you go to the orthodontist. I don't think that's really altering your life a lot. Choosing to wear deodorant is a huge life-changing decision, but what kind you use, probably not really messing with your life too much. Small decisions. What purse to bring to church on Sunday? You know, backpack style or traditional or no purse. I don't know. Guys, you tuck in the shirt or not? Do you wear matching socks? I don't know. Small decisions. We could probably argue about all those decisions and probably get into a pretty big debate about actually how those really will alter your life a lot based on how you, you know, kind of navigate those. But I don't really want to talk about that. I want to talk about this, this one situation that I'm confident doesn't need to be debated. One choice that you can make that I know will change your story, that it will alter your life in a way that you will never regret. And it's a choice that will give you the, the ultimate ending, a choice that you'll make where you won't want to go back. You won't want to see how it might have played out differently. You won't want to restart. You won't want to shape your life for a better ending. Everyone's life comes to a point where they have to make a decision. 
about who Jesus Christ is and, and the gospel. Junior hires, you're already well into your life. You're well into your choose your own adventure and how you respond to this choice to the gospel. It'll drastically change your life one way or another. Our text this morning is still in Colossians, Colossians chapter one. And here this morning, Paul's going to address these believers and the choice that they did make. They did choose to follow Christ. And he wants to kind of talk about what their life now is like. We get a, a glimpse of what their life was like before they made this choice and what it's like now and even where it's headed. Our big idea this morning is believing in the gospel will, will change my life forever. Believing in the gospel will change my life forever. We're going to focus on verses 21 to 23, but let's back up and start in verse 19. God's word says, For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, speaking of Christ, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated and enemies in mind and in evil deeds, but now he reconciled you in the body of his flesh through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith firmly grounded and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you've heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Last week, we, we kind of tried to climb Mount Everest, so to speak, to take in this massive truth about Jesus in verses 15 to 20. And this, we saw this incredible picture of who Christ is, this one who, who holds all things together. That's what we learned last week. He's the one that not only holds creation together, but also the one that holds the church together. He's the God who creates and the God who redeems, the God who, who reconciles. He brings believers not only into his kingdom, but into these groups with other believers called the church. Jesus offers redemption from the sin that shattered the creation and he also offers it to those who live in creation, salvation offered to, to those who believe. And he desires to see those who do believe to grow in their faith and grow in their holiness. And this is just who Jesus is. A massive sentence that we looked at last week and one that we could spend so much time on trying to just take in this bigger glimpse of Jesus trying to understand him more and more because it helps us really appreciate the gospel more and more. But now Paul wants to talk about these believers. This is a look at their kind of decision to follow Christ and the impact that it's had on their life. They believed and they made this choice and here's what happened. Here's how it changed their life. And so I want to just look at it the way Paul presents it. We're going to kind of think about their past and their present 
and their future. We're going to look at their yesterday and their today and, and then their tomorrow. Okay, so we'll start here in verse 21, point one, yesterday without Christ. Verse 21 says, And although you were formerly alienated and enemies in mind and in evil deeds. Paul very quickly highlights three areas of life without Christ. This is what it looks like in your kind of choose your own adventure if you ignore the gospel. This is what it looks like if you don't believe in Christ. Three main descriptions, and here's the first one, alienated. Big word, what's that about? It's kind of what it sounds like, that you're an alien. You're somebody who doesn't belong. You don't fit in. And as we think about it in connection to Christ, without him, everyone's alienated from him. You're a stranger to Jesus. You're a stranger to God. You don't belong. You're no longer close to him. It's maybe how... Maybe how a lot of you felt the first time you walked into this room as a junior hire. Like, what is this place? I feel like I don't fit in, like I don't belong. Everything's foreign. This is so much bigger than that, though. So much bigger than, than feeling like a stranger at church or feeling like you don't fit in with a certain group of peers. This is about separation from the one who made you being like cut off from this one who created you. We, we have to kind of keep all this connected to what Paul just said. The, the whole creation has been separated from Christ. Everything is cut off from him and everything's in need of being brought back to him, of being reconciled, of being kind of reconnected to Christ. So that includes you without Christ, the one who made you, the one who holds all things together, you are cut off from him. He's the one who gives your life real meaning and, and, and genuine purpose. And without him, you're just, you're just in this, this horrible spot, cut off from this only source of good. You can feel like a stranger at school or on your team. You might feel like you don't have a big friend group at church, you know, or you just got on Instagram and nobody likes your photos. And yeah, that feels horrible, but nothing is worse than this, than, than being a stranger to Jesus. Without Christ, you can only try to give your life meaning and purpose with the things of this world without him. And people do try, try to find contentment and, and joy in some material thing, this new game, or I'm going to try to find it in some outfit or whatever. I'm just trying to find happiness in something in the world, or you try to find it with a relationship. You know, maybe this will give me, you know... I don't know, some kind of meaning if I'm, if I'm hanging out with this person or I'm just trying to make my parents happy all the time or whatever. But in the end of that kind of life, there's only one outcome. It's just a life of disappointment. It's a life of discouragement. It's a life of depression. It's a life of disunity because you're cut off from the one who gives your life real meaning and, and real purpose. Ecclesiastes 2.25, apart from God, who can have joy? And a question with an implied answer of no one. 
There is no joy when we're disconnected from Christ. So as we think about this separation, it's not that it's undeserved. Some people think that their, their sin nature they inherited from Adam, like it's not their fault and that they're good people and they don't deserve this separation from God. They don't choose to be in this alienated category. It's not fair. Well, Paul goes on to say that that isn't exactly true. If you choose to say no to the gospel and to Jesus, not only are you alienated, but the second characteristic, you remain someone who's an enemy in your mind. What is that about? You're an enemy in the way you think, but an enemy to who? It's an enemy to Christ. You're not just alienated from him, but you're actually against him in the way that you think and the attitudes that you have and the desire that you have. Because of the gospel, we know we become a new creation. And as a new creation, you have a new mind. You no longer have a mind that's against God. That's why Paul can pray for these believers and encourage them, like he does in verse 9, to fill up on the right knowledge. Paul knows that as believers, they aren't enemies in their minds. They're not that way any longer, and now they just need to fill up on the right truth. They need wisdom and, and knowledge. But without Christ, there is no hope for that. Without Christ, you're just suppressing the truth. When we choose to say no to the gospel, we continue to say, I don't want to think about God. I don't want to you know, think about him. I don't want to think about the truth. That's what Paul says in another letter that he wrote to the, to the Romans. It's, it's this great letter. And in chapter one, he says, unbelievers, they just keep doing the same thing. They have the truth in front of them and they just keep pushing it down. They keep suppressing it and pushing it down because they don't want to interact with it. There in Romans 1, verse 21, he says, Although they knew God, they don't honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they become futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts are darkened. Without Christ, here's what's happening. We choose to keep this mind that's against him, this, this hostile mind, and it isn't just our thoughts. Paul also says it's your actions that are evil too. Enemies in your mind and enemies in what we do, which is our third characteristic. Enemies in your actions. The, the way of thinking, you guys, it's always going to lead to the way that we live. It's going to show up in how you live. Always connected to, to what you believe and what you think is what you do. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, Keep your heart or guard your heart with, with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Solomon there talking about the, the importance of guarding your heart and guarding your mind, guarding the way you think. Why? Because from it is just everything that you do. Everything I, I do is just it's, it's sourced in my mind and in my heart. It affects my whole life. And this is just who you are without Christ. This is you doing evil deeds, loving things in this life with the same love that you're supposed to have for God, these evil deeds, it's just, it's living and doing all the things that God says are wrong. Paul fleshes it out a little bit more, not a ton of detail, but we get a little more clarity from Ephesians chapter two. He says, you're, you're dead in your trespasses, you're, you're dead in your sins, and, and this is what you're doing. You're following the course of this world. 
Those people who are, uh, you know, want nothing to do with God, they're just living for them. He says, you're right there with them. You're doing exactly what they're doing. You're following the, the devil, the prince of the power of the air. His desire to just dishonor God, that's, that's you, that's what you're doing. And then some more clarity, you're just living in the, the passions of your flesh, carrying out desires of your body and mind. You're just children of wrath. Basically, whatever I can think to do, I'm going to do. Whatever I think is going to make me happy, I'm just going to do that. Whatever gives me any kind of joy or satisfaction, that's, that's how I'm going to live. I don't care about anybody else. I don't care of the impact on anybody else. It's just whatever I want to do for me. Without Christ, this is who you are. And I want to stress this. This is who you will be. This is where the adventure of your life can only go. This is it. You may enjoy a few moments of sunlight here and there, but as Paul already said in verse 13, you live in the domain of darkness. You're cut off from God and you're an enemy in your mind and in what you do. You're destined for your story to end with God's judgment. That's where the story goes if you reject the gospel. But for those who choose Christ, let's, let's look at number two, today with Christ. Now, because these believers have chosen Christ, this is who they are right now. This is their present, verse 22. But he reconciled you in the body of his flesh through death. For these believers here in Colossae, and you now we have believers in this room this morning, it's, it's helpful to know where we were. It's helpful to know what we were like. It's kind of overwhelming to know how against God we were and it's kind of overwhelming to see what we were actually like and where we were headed before God intervened. But, but this is the picture now, and we just get to see the result if we choose Christ. This is where the, the story goes. This is how your life will be changed. You were alienated, cut off, but now you're reconnected. You're reconciled. That's what that word means. That's what Paul meant in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse I say to you guys all the time, but it's, it's a helpful verse, verse 17. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And then the next verse is this. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled or reconnected us to himself. It's so helpful. You've been reconciled. You've been restored reunited. You're no longer cut off from God. That was before this is now. God's big plan was to, dis, to totally just restore what was broken by sin. He wanted to fix it. And part of that plan and included his son and sending him to earth and sending him into our history to die on the cross to, to pay the, the debt of our sin. And he did that so that we would no longer be cut off from him. We would no longer have to be what we were, and now we have this opportunity to have our relationship made right. I think implied here is, is what Paul's getting at. He, why would Christ do this? Well, he, he would do it not only so that we could be reconnected, but so that we would no longer be enemies in the way that we're living. 
that we would no longer be against God in the way that we think and in the way that we live. He wants to fill our lives with righteousness instead of evil. A few verses later in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Christ took our sin and he fills our life with his righteousness instead. And and all this is accomplished through what Christ did on the cross. That's what Paul said. We saw that last week in verse 20 of Colossians 1. Peace was made by the blood that Jesus shed. It was, it was made to restore all things, all of creation. Think about it this way. His death, it fixes the sin that broke you know, the universe. And his death can also fix what sin has broken in your life. Again, that connection that we see of who Christ really is. And it just reminds us again, it's not us. It's not you. There's nothing you can do on your own to fix it. There's nothing that you can do to reconcile yourself to God. And again, people sure try. They try hard to do that. They try hard to live a life pleasing to God, to earn that favor on their own. They try hard to to find this this reconciliation, this restoration with God on their own, to do it without Jesus. But there's just one way and one way only. Jesus said, I I say to you, I, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he'll be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. It's what choosing Christ and believing in the gospel will do. This is the the impact that it can have on your life right now, today. And what we just looked at about yesterday without Christ, that can be true of you today. That can actually be who you were yesterday, but not today. Both who we are now and, and even as we think about the future, about standing before God in judgment, Hebrews 10.10 says, we've been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Complicated verse, but it's so helpful to think about what the gospel actually does in our life. We are at this moment of our salvation, we are declared perfect and righteous before God. Yet God continues to work in our life, making us more like him and less like us, helping us to live that new creation and and not be that old creation anymore. Really, really cool to see that gospel impacts our life, but but there's more. There's more to your adventure, and I want to just look at the end of it. We'll call it this, tomorrow with Christ. Tomorrow with Christ, thinking about the future. Look at the end of verse 22. Why does Jesus want you to be reconciled? It says, in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Jesus restores our relationship with him. We're made right with him in this moment of salvation. But as that verse in Hebrews said, we're still in the process of of growing, of being made holy. Jesus is, is leading us to grow and he's leading us to this day when we'll stand before him when we'll stand before the father and we'll stand for judgment 
But because of Christ, it's not judgment. Because of Christ, we get to be found holy and blameless and beyond reproach. And those are three words, I think, that are all pointing at the same thing. You'll be found innocent. You'll be found, you know, righteous. You'll be declared, you know, justified instead of guilty enemy. There'll be no accusations made against you, only that declaration of of innocence, where where Jesus will say to his father, no, I, I died for her. I died for him. They are righteous. They are holy. They are innocent. Revelation chapter 20, here's a scene that we get to kind of understand how this looks. John writes, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done, and the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. God's big plan of redemption, it included sending Jesus to die for sin. And through that death, there is access for all to be made right. There is opportunity for you to have your name written in the book of life. Little scene in Luke where Jesus and the disciples are having this kind of strange interaction. And it was the, the bigger group of disciples. It was the 72. And, and Jesus had given them some pretty important, uh, a pretty important mission in front of them. They were to go out and preach and to do all these things and heal and cast out demons. And the disciples were so amazed that they had power over the demons, power over the spirits. And it must have been a big deal. It must have been a big conversation the way that they were kind of just going overboard about this, how cool this was. And in Luke chapter 10, Jesus says, don't rejoice that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice in this, that your name is written in heaven. So it's, it's not about <laughs> anything else. This is the main thing. This is the most important thing, that through belief in the gospel, your name is written in the book of life. For those who believe our standing before God, it's permanent. Our future is, it's, it's secure. But there's this little condition here in verse 23. Paul adds, if indeed you continue in the faith, firmly grounded and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you've heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Our future must be full of perseverance. It must be full of, of pressing on in our faith, continuing on, going on in, in this faith that brought us into right relationship with God. We must continue on in the gospel. Those that only claim that one time to, to believe in Christ, but then live a life that totally doesn't match that claim, 
Their names are not written in the book of life. James chapter 2, verse 17, James writes, faith by itself without works, it's useless, it's, it's dead. It's not real faith. Real faith leads to a changed life. Real faith leads to you being a new creation. And that new creation is just going to live very differently. Not perfect, but differently. More like Jesus, less like you. Paul says you just have to be firmly grounded. You have to be steadfast. You can't shift away from the hope that you have in the gospel. You can't begin to stop needing Jesus. You can't begin to start thinking that you've got this. I can depend on me a little bit more. I can put faith in myself and my good deeds and my righteousness. I can, you know, don't really need God anymore. You see little kids learning to walk. Uh, just kind of trying to think about this. Little kids, you know, they, they, they boldly and bravely take a few steps away from mom and dad before they turn around and maybe go right back to, to mom and dad. They, they don't really want to get too far away from that source of security, right? That, that source of just protection and stability. That's how we need to be with Christ, how crazy to think that we, we desperately need Jesus to save us, but then after that, we don't need him anymore. You know, we'll just excuse him from the rest of our lives. I'll take it from here, Jesus. You know, thanks for getting me started. Uh, I can finish the marathon by myself, even though I have no idea how to do that. That's what Paul's saying. You, you, you can't do that. You stay steadfast. You don't get away from the hope that you have in the gospel. And I think it's so interesting that he mentions the gospel in connection to hope. You see that there in verse 23? It's this not shifting away from the hope of the gospel. We're not to lose sight of what the gospel does and just daily reminding ourselves of those truths, the right desires, the right hope. We have to fill our lives with that. That was something we saw several weeks ago. This is what our lives need. This world only offers a fraction of the hope that's found in the gospel. Oh, it presents it as if it's the same, but it, it's, it's using a candle when you could turn on the lights. It's not even close to the same. There's so much more hope in the gospel than in anything in this world. Reminds me of a truth that we read in 2 Corinthians 4.4, that the God of this world blinds the mind of the unbelievers, keeps them from seeing the light of the gospel, keeps them blind to the glory of Christ. So sad to think that some stay blind to the gospel when it's, when it's doing what the gospel does, when it's spreading, when it's bearing fruit right in front of you. So sad to think that some stay blind to it seeing friends and classmates and people in your youth group get saved and give their life to Christ, and yet you just keep saying no, keep rejecting it. Like Paul says here, it's a gospel that they heard. It was presented to them by a friend, Epaphras. It's this message that's been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, it's a message that's proclaimed to you once or twice a week. And it's been that way for a number of years for some of you. 
It's the most important message. Nothing even comes close. And it's why Paul was, was pleased to give his life to this work, to be a minister, to be a servant of his Lord and Savior. Paul wouldn't have his adventure end any other way, and neither should we. And if you're worried about continuing in the faith, if you're concerned about being grounded and being steadfast, I want to give you some encouragement. How how am I going to do this on my own? Don't forget what we see in this chapter. Jesus is the head of the church. He's the one holding it together, holding you together. But it also makes me think of Philippians 1.6, where Paul writes, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus. Talking about that same day when we'll stand before him in judgment. God's not leaving you to your own devices. Jesus isn't abandoning you to figure it out on your own. He's still actively at work in you. Choose your own adventure. Thing so interesting about those books was, and I used to like to to try to do that. Read that, and some of the decisions you would make would actually take you right to the end of the book. You could make like one or two decisions, and then the story was over. And then I could tell my mom I read a whole book, you know, which wasn't really true. But it's interesting when you think about that that the decisions you make sometimes shorten your adventure a little bit. Could be what made those books so popular that they so closely resemble real life. You don't know how long your life will last. You don't know how long your adventure will go. Every decision you make has changed your life, some small ways, some big ways. This is one of those big choices you have to make junior hires, this is one of those big choices that will drastically change your story. I've been praying for you, praying that you choose Christ, that you'd stop being cut off from him and stop being enemies in your mind and in your actions. When you stand before him someday, if you do choose him, I'm confident that you won't regret it. I'm confident that if you choose Christ on that day when you stand before him, you will not want to have a different ending. There will be nothing in you that will desire something different. I wonder what would happen if I would have said no. Heavenly Father, thank you for the time that you've given us this morning, another opportunity for those who live in darkness to come into your kingdom of light, to be reconciled with you, to be giving eternal life. Thank you for your word, Lord Jesus. We we praise you for this truth that reminds us what life would be like without you, what life is promised to be like with you. Thank you for the death that you died on the cross, Jesus, for the relationship that you make possible. The only way we can stop being enemies with you and to be family instead. 
God, I ask that you would do a work in the lives of these students this morning, a work that only you can do. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.